Welcome everyone again today for another edition of Conversations with Carlton. Uh, today's guest is Ron Clemens. Ron was our chair in 1991. Uh, oh, before I forget, at the helm today is Amy Swank, our producer. And uh, Ron, it is great to have you on board uh, and welcome to Conversations with Carlton. Thank you. Glad to be here. Ron, um, you know, before we get into uh, to, to a lot of the things I really wanted to talk about today, it, given the fact that you are a pivotal chair in the history of the Texas Economic Development Council for a number of reasons, um, would you start uh, at, at how you got into economic development? I know you had a long career with the railroad. And just tell us how you got into uh, the economic development part of the railroad business. Carlton, I had uh, uh, worked for the Santa Fe Railroad while I was in college. And when I graduated and got out of the Army, they offered me a job in their real estate and industrial development department. And uh, that's how I got in that arm of the business. Uh, I went to Topeka and was transferred all over the country. And uh, at some point uh, around the early 80s, I guess, we got out of the real estate business. And when I say real estate, I'm talking about we, we owned a large amount of property all over the country that we used to locate industry on to generate rail traffic. And when we got out of that arm of the business, we evolved strictly into industrial economic development. And again, uh, we separated the two in the early 80s. And, and that's how I evolved into the pure economic development end of it. I was transferred to Dallas in uh, 1977 and uh, stayed in Dallas uh, until I retired. And, was that from uh, Topeka? That you got transferred to Dallas? No, I, that was from Oklahoma City. Okay. I uh, I was in Topeka, Houston, Chicago, Oklahoma City. Uh, spent about four months and lived in Los Angeles while I was going to uh, school out there at USC, and then came back to Dallas in '77 from Oklahoma City. Uh, Ron, I'm curious because I don't know where did you grow up. Fort Worth. Okay. Okay. Um, I, and maybe I did know that you, um, you, it's something I've tried to keep secret. I, I, I think <laughs> you should, <laughs> I think you should be proud of it. So, so Ron, how did you, in, in that capacity, of course you were, uh, you, you, you became a member of the TIDC at the right. time and, and tell us about your early years in the, in the TIDC and in how you came to become one of the leaders of our organization? Uh, well, I mean, Carlton, I was just, uh, just a member of TIDC. I, I uh, was asked at some point to uh, be on the board and I'm guessing that was in the early eighties. Uh we had uh, my counterpart in Houston was in the chairs 
at that time, and he got killed in an accident. Uh, oh my gosh, I, di I didn't know who was that? Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson, and so so he was with UP. No, no, he was with Santa Fe. He was my oh, he was counterpart. Oh, okay. He was, yeah, he was my counterpart in Houston, and uh, uh, without going into any great detail, he was out looking at property one day, and he fell off a railroad trestle and and was killed. Oh my! And uh, then I I took over his territory, and then a year or two later was asked if I would be interested in getting in the chairs. Uh, and I said, sure, big, look forward to it. And that's how that, that's how that evolved. You know, Ron, um, I'm, I'm guessing during the early days of the, um, of the TDC, there might've been a chair from the railroad sector, but you're certainly the last chair from, um, uh, from the railroad industry, um, do you happen to know if anybody else at uh, at Santa Fe was a a, a chair? No, there were was not. Yeah, uh, I don't believe so. I did, or I didn't think so. And I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall anybody from any of the other railroads having been in the chairs uh, either. Uh, the railroad industry back many years ago was, was, I mean, there were a lot of railroads. Uh, so there was kind of a lack of continuity, if you will. Right. And uh, as the railroads began to merge, uh, then that, that changed. Uh, I mean, when I came to Dallas in 1977, we had three uh, managers in Texas. And when I retired, I was regional manager for Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. So, I mean, you can see things just dramatically changed in terms of the number of people that we had doing economic development. Just a, just a slow consolidation. Yeah, uh, very much so. How many years were you with uh, the railroad company? 33. 33. Um. So, so you got in, you served on the board, you got in the chairs, and then um, you are in the chairs and uh, you are chair uh, during some, some very interesting times in our history. Uh, you were in the chairs uh, when Gary Vest was chair and we passed the economic development sales tax, which led to, you know, unprecedented growth in the TDC or TIDC, which is what it was still called then. Right. And, but then you were involved in the name change, the move from uh, College Station, uh, the, the move to hire a full-time exec. My goodness, you were in the, in the center of a lot of things that happened 30 plus years ago. Um, tell us about all of them. Well, <laughs> how about that for an open, uh, open-ended question? <laughs> it, uh, it was an interesting time to say the very least. We, uh, 
the 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 board, and I'm going to say in 1989. Let's see, 90, 89, 90. We had we had already started talking about uh, uh, the organization uh, because it was having growing pains, but yet in a lot of ways we were not being allowed to grow just simply because we were under the umbrella of Texas A&M. Right. And, and let me say right up front that had it not been for Texas A&M and, and uh, uh, Texas A&M engineering and, and extension service and Jim Bradley, the organization probably never would have, have evolved. Certainly not when it did. So right. I want to be, I want to be careful to pay, homage to to AM for what they did for our organization but nevertheless being under that umbrella was was prohibiting us from doing some things that we wanted to do and in particular the ability to get involved more involved with the texas legislature uh, for economic development reasons and so the conversation started being had more and more often. And uh, it was concluded among quite a few on the board that it was time for us to move, to, to establish our own standalone office and get out from under AM. And uh, I'd just be candid, it was most contentious. Uh, there were people on the board that had been members of the organization since it was formed. They, they felt loyalty to A&M and to people with A&M. Uh, uh, then you had the group that felt like if we were going to grow, we had to move. And so it kind of fell to me to do it. Uh, there were some other presidents who just didn't feel like they could do it. They, they had too much loyalty to A&M. They just did not feel like they could give it a shot. And so I said, I will. And uh, after a lot of uh, discussion, a lot of research at that January board meeting in uh, 91, uh, we decided to bring it up. And I will never forget that at that board meeting, I said, we're not going to leave this room until everybody has had their say, expressed their opinion. Then we're going to vote on it. And if it's not a unanimous vote, we're not going to do it. Wow. And, and after several hours of discussion, and there were people on that board, again, that had been original members of TIDC. Uh, some I know that told me when they went in that board meeting, there was no way they were going to vote to leave A&M. And they changed their minds. And when we held the vote, it was unanimous. Ron, who, who was, um, you talked about the research and, and uh, and you don't have to mention names. I, I can see just what I know about board behavior and, and you know, our board makeup now. And, and there, there are still many members of the TEDC that were members back then 
but and I could see how difficult because you kind of want to be loyal who, to who to you know who really kept the organization going for for 30 years but now looking back at least to me it seems like such a no-brainer uh, I, I'm curious how you got everybody to to what what was the kind of things that was were said in that meeting that why you need you had, you'd already mentioned that you felt like you know just the structure with teaks prohibited growth uh, could you share or do you recall just some of the things that that were said that uh, that convinced people hey you know it's been great with them but we're changing and we got to move on. Yeah, there were there were two major issues, uh, and and the first one was again our ability not to be able to uh, lobby, if you will, right? The Texas legislature. We had a lot of we had a lot of corporate members. I'll use the railroad as an example, who who through their PACs, et cetera, donated to various legislators. And, and we couldn't we couldn't piggyback a lot of that and get uh, uh, some natural synergy just because we were under a and m correct and, yeah. and and so that was an issue we wanted to uh, get away from that and be able to take advantage of our uh, legislative lobbying abilities that was number one number two we felt like we were generating more income than we were getting the benefit of. I'll just uh, be, yeah. I'll just, I'll yeah. just be candid. Were, were y'all paying, um, y'all just paying them like um, a, a management fee kind of thing? We weren't even paying them. They, they got all the income from our annual conference, mid-year conference, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And via that income, they managed TIDC. And having once worked at a university, uh, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be surprised if, if because they were generating income, they had to share some of that as well with the administration. Of, they, is that um, true? Yeah, it is, Carlton. Yeah. In fact, yeah. in fact, I'll be, I'll just be blunt. We, we couldn't even see our books. Oh, Lord. We were, <laughs> we were not even allowed to see the books on what we were generating and what we were costing. Wow. wow. And, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just felt like that, wasn't, that just was not right because I knew that we were generating, and I say I, it wasn't just me, it was, it was everybody we knew we were generating more income than we were getting the benefit of. So really using those two main talking points, that, that I think is what swayed everybody uh, to join in. And believe me, it, it, it wasn't easy. You, you have had enough experience to know that uh, it's pretty hard to get the board to agree that the sun's coming up tomorrow, much less take on something like that, because we didn't have office. We didn't have personnel. We had nothing. Right. We had, 
when we yeah. held that vote and walked out of that room, it was, what in the world have we just done? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, you, 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 you left there and, and you decided to hire Nancy. Um, tell us about that. And you were also around when we changed our name. Um, tell us about those two um, important events in our history. Well, I want to say, first of all, that uh, uh, the hiring of Nancy happened very quickly. Uh, we had to have an executive. And you, you had to have somebody keeping, now that you had the doors, you had to have somebody keep them open, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we we had a couple of things happen to us that in looking back was just so fortuitous. It's almost unbelievable. I guess the stars were just lined up right. We we got office space in Austin uh, free. Uh, the uh, Austin, I believe it was Austin Chamber of Commerce, agreed to let us use one of their offices at no cost. Yeah, I, re I actually remember where that office was, yeah. not, not far from where I'm sitting right now. But yeah, yep. and we didn't, and we weren't in it very long, but but it allowed us to at least uh, have a place to put a typewriter. Right. And, uh, and it gave Nancy a place to start trying to figure out just exactly what we were, to be honest. And then the next thing that happened is we decided to have our mid-year conference in Waco and Curtis Cleveland uh, headed it up and, and the mid-year conference, that was going to be make or break. I mean, that's all there is to it. We were going to come out of that meeting with some money or we were going to be dead in the water and back at A&M begging for forgiveness. My uh, goodness. I didn't know about that. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, that's just all there was to it too. It was just that simple. And, Curtis just absolutely did a yeoman's job of putting together that mid-year conference. He got sponsors. I mean, oh my goodness. Uh, he, he really deserves a tremendous amount of credit for us getting off the ground. When, when it was all said and done, that mid-year conference had one of the biggest attendances that a mid-year conference had ever had. And we came out of it with, multi thousands of dollars and, and we were off and running and you were you were able to come back back to austin with some money in your pockets yeah in uh, yeah and and for the listeners that don't know about curtis curtis had a a very distinguished career in economic development and then went on to have a, an equally distinguished career uh in the private sector and was our chair in 1994 Yes, yes. But he just he just did a tremendous job on that meeting. And again, it was it was our make or make it or break it uh, point. In fact, uh, if I recall, and I'm not going to be exact on these numbers, but when we pulled out of AM, I think our membership was around 200. It it certainly wasn't much north of that. Right. And within a year, we were approaching a thousand members. Wow! I mean, it just the whole thing just changed, just completely changed. Wow. Well, um, and and tell us about the 
the the name change. Um, oh, you know, Carlton, I I don't. Uh, that was just kind of a of an obvious move. So you, uh, there was no real controversy about that, or not really, yeah. not really. Organizations all over the country were making that change, uh-huh. and uh, I mean, Southern Industrial Development Council they changed. And, American Industrial Development Council, they changed. Uh, it, it was just kind of a natural progression to, to reflect uh, greater involvement in economic development, whether right. it be a manufacturing facility or a hotel, rather than industrial development, which was the connotation was job creation. And it was just a natural change. It, there wasn't a lot of controversy. Okay. 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 Good. Good. Good background, though, nonetheless. Um, who were some of? Um, t- t- tell me, tell tell us about some of the folks that that you uh, not only served with on our board, or were influences, or maybe even influences uh, in your company, and how you uh, obviously developed this passion for initially industrial development and economic development. What, what, what drove you uh, in, in our business? The, uh, the, the guy that hired me in the industrial development department with the railroad was uh, just a tremendous real estate and ID guy. He was in Topeka, Kansas, although he was a native Texan and he loved Texas. Uh, and he was really a mentor to me that I learned the business from, uh, uh, boy, I'll always be grateful to him. He was a real taskmaster, but, uh, he was a great, great guy to learn the business from. And I had been, I had worked for the railroad, but never, I'd been a switchman, a brakeman and worked on a bridge gang. So moving into an office was a whole new world to me. You got out of the heat, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Coming out of the coming out of the army, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> and uh, then being transferred all over the country, I got a different I got a different perspective from an awful lot of people. Uh, uh, Marvin Wynn, who was a former president of SIDC, and incidentally, who was president of SIDC when they moved out of Georgia Tech and set up their own standalone operation. So y'all had, y'all shared that history. (laughs) Yeah, we sure did. (laughs) Marvin, Marvin was in Tulsa at the time I was in Oklahoma city and he was a, he was a mentor too. I learned a lot from Marvin. Marvin had, had been involved in a lot of big projects and, and uh, he was, he was great to, great to be around. Then when I got transferred to Dallas, uh, I met some really, really neat people that had been in this business. Uh, uh, Bill Shelton. Oh, yeah. In Fort yeah. Worth. Uh, one of the, one, another legend of the TEDC. Yeah. <laughs> George McVeigh. Yes. Uh, Former chair as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to be around those guys and watch how they – how they functioned and their knowledge of, of business uh, as well as real estate. 
and politics. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Uh, it was, it was a great environment to learn this business in. It really, really was. And, uh, then I, I went to USC, uh, for four months on a company, uh, scholarship, if you will. And, uh, Ron, I hope that was during football season. Oh, no, 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 it was in the summertime, (laughs) but, but another, one of my professors was, uh, crying out loud. I just went, uh, brain dead. He's on Fox all the time. He's, he was, he was the designer of, you will, of the Reagan, uh, economic policy. And I took a economics course under him. And oh my goodness, again, that just changed my whole perspective on, on business. And right. uh, when I came, got out of USC and came back to uh, work Dallas, uh, it, it was just a different, different world to me. And you, you, uh, you looked at things differently, I think is what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I had a much better understanding of the type of businesses that we were trying to attract to Texas and, and why, why they wanted to come to Texas. Right. Right. Can't believe I can't tell you his name. You, you will. I said it, you know, um, what, um, when, when did you retire? I can't even remember that. Uh, I retired in 1998. You retired in 1998? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, so you retired at the age of like 35? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I was 51. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. And and you said you had started with the railroad when you were in high school, right? Yeah. no, I, I was actually in college, but just I just out of high school. How were you? Uh, how did you I, just answer an ad? How'd you get how'd you get to, uh, a job with railroad? Well, I uh, a friend of mine at the time said, did you know that uh, I was kind of looking for a job? And he said, the Texas and Pacific Railroad is hiring, I understand. So I just went down there. Their their general build, office building was in Fort Worth. It's down at Union Station now down there. I just went down there and uh, applied, and I got hired on a bridge gang. And uh, my first uh, my first episode on that bridge gang was. Uh, they told me they'd be in touch for me to where, where I should go to join the gang. And about two o'clock in the morning, my father came in and woke me up in the bedroom. And he said, there's some guy from a railroad on the phone wants to talk to you. And they'd had a, they'd had a train go off a trestle right out of Longview. And it was floodwaters. And I was supposed to go down to Union Station and catch a train and go to Longview and join that bridge gang. And, uh, wow. That was my first uh, exposure to the railroad. And I think that I was 18. Wow. 
I think I was 18. May have, may have just been 17. I don't remember. I, 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 I'm sitting here trying to wrap my head around the fact that when you retired, one, that you were 51, two, that that was before I even started here, and I've been here almost as long as dirt. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm uh, that's that's incredible. So, what have you been doing all these many years in retirement? Well, I went to work for a couple of years after I left the railroad with Syntax Corporation. They wanted to open an office in Texas. I, I do, now that you mentioned that, I, I, I seem to recall that. What did you do for them? They wanted to open an office dealing with attracting business. They'd never been in Texas in that regard. They had owned a company in Tennessee, and uh, they were big in Arkansas and Tennessee and just all over the Southeast. And so I went to work for them and opened the office in Dallas and uh, stayed with that for about two years and uh, then resigned, but stayed on with them another couple of years as a consultant, just traveling around and doing really what I'd done before. And uh, then I left them after that and I've just been retired. I, I, uh, my wife and I travel and I play a lot of golf and pretty much do whatever I want to do. Well, <laughs> when I, when I saw you in, in October, it, it didn't even seem like you had changed a bit. You sounded the same. You looked the same. You acted the same. I'm, I'm thinking that retirement has been pretty dead gum good to you. Well, I have certainly enjoyed it. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Uh, okay, okay, I will take that as a as as a, as a recommendation, a verbal recommendation. Um, well, do, do you ever, uh, apart from when when we are in Fort Worth and and we get past chairs together, do you ever see any of your old TDC pals or uh, communicate with any of them or run into any of them? Uh, uh, what's your what, what do you still have some connections to TDC? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, we, uh, the people that were that were active in the moving of TIDC out of AM, and there were a lot of them, and you know, all of them uh, Kathy and Nancy and Pat Nowatney and Eric, and, and, and all of those people. We stay in touch. Great. Uh, of course, most of them are all retired, except for Nancy, I think, as far as I recall. But we stay in touch. Uh, I uh, uh, The last few years that I was with the railroad, an awful, awful lot of my time was spent on working with the uh, pros and the alliance development, uh, which we were, we were on the ground floor of getting Alliance started. And I have, I've stayed in touch with them a lot. I'm still on one of their boards and, and uh, that kind of stuff. I, I like, really. People like Mike Berry and, yes. and those guys. Yeah. Yes. yes. What, an, what an amazing, 
amazing project that was, uh, I have to tell you a quick story. I, I went into one of the veteran consultants um, offices uh, at Fantas in Chicago when I was working there. And um, he, he was an old industrial locator and a, and a, and a doggone good one. And he said, hey, uh, what do you know about Ross Perot um, setting up this giant industrial air park north of Fort Worth? And I said, absolutely nothing. And he said, oh. well, he's looking at doing it and he wants us to come down and talk to him about it. And I'm like, and, and, and I remember that to this day, that was probably my first year at Fannis, which would have been 19, sometime in 1989. It might've been in 1990, but I think back on that. And I think back about going, going back to Texas and driving by there when it was first getting started. And I'm like, wow, this is out in the middle of nowhere. And this is a project, the scale of which, you know, you rarely see. And now it's, it's just an unbelievable it's had an unbelievable impact on Fort Worth. Carlton, I'll, I'll take just a minute and tell you a funny story about that. And it's a Please story do. to me. It's a story to me that really reflects what economic development is and can be through contacts. We had a, we had a group in Dallas called the ideas. And it was just a bunch of guys from the utilities and the banks, the railroads, some real estate people. And we got together once a month to have breakfast. And every month, each individual had to come up with a speaker. And one time, uh, George McVeigh was in charge of the meeting, and the guest speaker was Ross Perot Jr. And Ross makes a presentation to our little group uh, about this development that he has got in his head over in North Fort Worth. And it's going to be driven by a feeder airport to DFW. Well, at that particular time, we, being the railroad, were in the midst of a attempt to locate an auto unloading facility for Honda, and we were desperate. The property that we had planned to build that facility on was coming apart at the seams, and, and we, were, we were in a pickle. So when the breakfast was over, I went up and introduced myself to Ross and asked him, would you have any interest in perhaps an auto unloading facility on your property? And he had no idea that our railroad even ran anywhere around that property. The railroad was not of any interest to him. It was the airport that he felt was going to be the driving force up there. But he said, sure, let's talk. Within about three weeks, we had made the first property purchase at Alliance. We also made the second purchase for another facility. American Airlines made the third purchase for their big maintenance facility. We made the fourth purchase and then ultimately bought a large amount of property for the intermodal facility and the yard that we built up there. And, and after a year or two, Ross said, you know, I was wrong. It's the railroad 
that's going to drive the alliance development. It's what's going to trigger all of these industries. And as it turned out, he was exactly right. The, the intermodal facility and yard we built up there, I think, changed the logistics and transportation industry in this country. From that point on, other railroads started looking at doing the same thing, building these large intermodal facilities and yard facilities, rather than having all these satellite facilities scattered all over the place, but rather go to a large centralized facility and, and distribute from there. And now all the railroads are doing that all over the country. And isn't but, that amazing and in that cool to have been a part of that. And, 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 and it, I, you know, I've often thought about that. It kind of changed um, the, the, the other thing that it, it did is it connected, um, you know, Southern California, Long Beach to the middle of the country. Via, oh yeah. Via Much, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, we, we have since, we, I say we, the railroad has since they built a similar facility in Stockton and, uh, the Union Pacific has done the same thing down at Wilmer Hutchins, south of Fort Worth, right. I mean, south of Dallas. But that has happened all over the country. The Norfolk Southern has done it. CSX has done it. it again, I, I think it changed the logistics of transportation and uh, certainly rail transportation in the country. And and literally all of that came out of a breakfast. And, and Ron, uh, it's, it's also one of those things in retrospect one, that only happened a little over 30 years ago. And you're thinking, well, why didn't that happen any sooner? You know, uh, but but it took it, it took somebody like, uh, uh, you know, like Ross Perot to, to envision it. And even he there is no way he would have envisioned what became of it. And obviously, early on, he didn't he he didn't realize that that uh, the railroad was going to drive it. No, he didn't. But, you know, Carlton, I've, I've talked about this in many, many circles with people. And that was just one of those situations where the stars were lined up right. You had a developer who had deep enough pockets to acquire the property and the foresight to develop it. You had interstate highway running right through the property and you had a mainline transcontinental railroad on the west side, and you also had one on the east side. Union Pacific's main line's on the east side of that property. Right. And, and you had all, of, and close to a major metropolitan area where you could amass that amount of property. And I don't think, I've said this before, I don't think that will ever happen again in this country. Well, it, it'll be extremely difficult to replicate uh, just on a, from a land use standpoint, wasn't it uh, initially like 11,000 acres or something? Or I don't know why that number sticks in my head. Do you remember? I wasn't, it wasn't much more than that. They yeah. just continued, continued to amass property. And, and I think now they're between 25 and 30,000 acres. I, right. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I think that's right. Right. Well, Ron, um, you know, before, uh, before we leave, um, any other thoughts, any other, um, any other things you want to convey 
uh, not only for posterity's sake, but for historical sake or, or, or uh, just comments on where you see um, our business going, TDC going, um, you, you know, the, the, the future of economic development uh, in our state? Well, I don't know that economic development in the state of Texas could be much better than it is right now. I agree. I really don't. I mean, uh, uh, Texas has just stuck to its pro-business leanings and, and it's paying off. And I know we could have a discussion about that the rest of the day, but the fact is uh, there's a tremendous amount of potential in Texas from an economic development perspective. I, uh, I personally am so lucky to have been involved in, in TIDC, TEDC, to have worked for the railroad, to have, to have been involved in, in attracting industry to, to Texas and job creation and capital creation. I just, I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world and I've said it forever. I, I couldn't have picked a career that uh, I enjoyed more than I did uh, doing what, what I did for the railroad and, and Texas. For Texas, you bet. Well, well yeah, you got, the, um, you got that disease that all of us who love this business uh, get in, in that once we're in it, um, we might exit it, but generally speaking, it's only for a brief time. And uh, it's just hard to get out of your blood, isn't it? Yeah, I was I was told by somebody when I was just starting you you're gonna get you're gonna get hooked on this, and when you do, you'll never get away from it. <laughs> and I and I thought he was crazy, and he wasn't. He wasn't. It, it just uh, it's something that I think it's something you have to love, or you can't do it successfully. Exactly. I think the two go hand in hand. I, I don't I don't think somebody can do economic development on a part time basis and be successful. Exactly. And it, and it is a wonderful it is a wonderful business because you're a part of doing good things. I mean, that was the thing that always attracted me. And obviously you uh, you were doing it for a company you love, but you were also doing it for a state that you loved and doing it for the betterment of communities in, in all of y'all's um, service area. And uh, that, that just is, is such a, that's the thing that's kept me in it and, and kept me around it. And, it, and it, it, it's hard work, but it's also fun, isn't it? Oh, it, the, the people that you get to meet, uh, my goodness, that's the, that's the cherry on top right there. The people that you get and stay in touch with. You asked me that earlier. I mean, these are lifelong friends. Uh, and uh, I just really think that's the, that's the great thing about the profession. Yeah. And one of the things <clears throat> I'm sure you feel this way too, as big as our state is and as big as the TEDC is the largest state association in the country, it's still like a small town in that people, lots of people know each other, regardless of where they're from in the state, which is another cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, Ron, uh, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for your enormous contributions to the TDC over all these many years. And we'll be back up in Fort Worth uh, sometime in the next couple of years. And we'll want you to, to come over and spend some time with us at one of our events. And uh, anyway, thank you again. And uh, thank you for being a part uh, of our podcast today. Thank you for asking me. I've enjoyed it. And I look forward to future functions in the area. <laughs>